everyone is suffering from something. You can suffer beautifully or you can take it out on everyone else or you can become an alcoholic or you can like get addicted to porn or you can become a gambler or you can do a thousand different things that like a normal person could get away with, but you can. And I want to be that guy who like talks like you, looks like you, acts like you, understands, has all this life experience just like you, but you can talk to me because I'm not like one of that. I want to be able to bridge that gap because like, you know, the idea of masculinity and vulnerability can't talk about that. And I want to be the dude that's like, the most masculine dude who's like, no, 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 you absolutely can. And here's why, like, here's my story. Feel free to share whatever you do or don't want to share. This opens the conversation so that dudes stop killing themselves. So dudes stop hating their lives. Like the porn, the alcohol, like there's, there's other things, there's other options, right? And if there's not guys setting that example and talking about it, then no one else is going to. What is going on, gentlemen? Guys, welcome back this week to another amazing, very, very exciting episode of The Superhuman Life. As always, guys, before we dive into today's guest and conversation, let me just take a minute and remind you how incredibly grateful and thankful we are to have you here with us today. Frank Rich here, your host of The Superhuman Life, and guys, we have an amazing and inspiring guest on the show here today. What does it mean to suffer beautifully and die empty? You know, our guest, it is a philosophy, it is a way of life, it is a way of showing up every single day and leaving it all on the table, whether it's in our workouts and our training, whether it's in our businesses, whether it's in our relationships, or whether it's in the pursuit of becoming the man that God has created us all to be. We must embrace the suffering. We must look at the daily suffering and challenges as a way of shaping ourselves to becoming who God created us to be. And dying empty is leaving everything on the table. Not a 98% effort, not a 99% effort, but a 100% effort in everything that we do. Join me on the show today is none other than Brian Alsrue. Brian Alsrue is a professional strongman, strongman coach, strongman gym owner, just an incredible human being. In a previous life and previous career, Brian worked in counter-terrorism and intelligence. Uh, but then there was a series of life-transforming moments that occurred when he realized that he had one life to live and he was going to do all he could to pursue his passions, pursue his dreams, and live a life in service of others. It's when he got into the sport of strongman. So we dive deep into what that transition was like, what were some of those moments that really signaled to him that strongman training and competitive strongman was where he was supposed to be. Brian has overcome so much adversity, so much struggle in his life. We walk through moments in his life when he didn't know if he was going to have another day. Doctors were unsure of how to treat some of the sicknesses that he was dealing with, but he showed up every day and he suffered beautifully and he died empty. Now, Brian lives out in a beautiful ranch in the middle of the woods, in the middle of nowhere, where he's utilized some of his strongman training and development of his own physique to build an incredible life for himself building cabins with his bare hands, 
You know, we talk about what is strongman, how it translates into everyday life. I love his perspective on it. You know, he, he referred to strongman as CrossFit for big guys, I think is, 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 is how he described it. But there's so much carryover. There's so much crossover to modern everyday life that we get from utilizing some of these strongman principles. So we dive deep into some of that as well, how you guys can, you know, whether you're training as a bodybuilder like myself with a hypertrophy background or you're a power lifter, you're somebody uh, that does CrossFit, you're somebody that just does, you know, fitness to maintain a healthy lifestyle. We talk about how you can begin to utilize some of the strongman training. So incredible conversation. Brian is just a man full of heart, love, and passion. So grateful to be able to share him in this conversation with you today. So without further ado, guys, let's get into today's conversation with Brian Alsru on why you need to suffer beautifully and die empty every single day. God bless you guys, and we'll see you on the other side. Brian, my brother, welcome to the Superman Life. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. Dude, I love the shirt, man. Die empty. Tell me about, uh, tell me about the meaning behind the shirt there. Uh, it's just, uh, we have a couple random sayings from, from my gym uh, on t-shirts and stuff, and one of them is die empty, and it's just kind of like, uh, leave it out there, right? Like no matter what your life holds, no matter what you're doing at that time, like be there and just 100% leave what you have and give what you have. And then, so when you die here, you're, you're just completely empty. You don't have regrets. You don't not wishing you would have, or, or done anything like that. Like you were just, you're empty. Yeah. No matter what the endeavor, whether it's a training session, a podcast conversation, a building of a cabin, a walk with your dog, just leave it all out there. Like die at the end of it. I love that. I love that. Dude, you've had a fascinating journey, man, in a, in a, in a very interesting life. I'm sure we're going to touch on so much of, of, of that here today. Curious, you know, cause I know before all this strong man training, the content, the, you know, the gym, the, the, the business, you had a previous career in counterintelligence. Curious, Brian, if there's any takeaways that you've got, counterterrorism, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, anything that you took away from that experience that has benefited you in either the strongman training or any of your entrepreneurship endeavors? A thousand percent. Um, really, at the end of that career, I ended up being a trainer where I was training all sorts of uh, the personnel that we worked with, but then also got to interact with a lot of other very high speed type of groups and stuff like that and see how they did things and, and learned a lot. Uh, and then literally at the end of my career, every single day I was writing like a weightlifting program and a bodyweight program for all of the troops every single day. You know what I mean? And so I got reps of like programming, programming. And then when I went into my own gym world and doing straw man and coaching, I was so used to programming and just being creative and coming up with different ideas and um, that it came very easy. I think a lot easier to me than other people, almost like a, uh, you know, like the stories of like, uh, like Steve Jobs having access to a computer before anyone else did. And that's how he was able to do what he did. And this, it's almost like I got to have like two, three years of practice before I, I got to actually show anything to the world. You know what I mean? Yeah, I love that. Was it kind of like a like a revelation to you? It's like here I I got this incredible government job, yet I'm spending more of my time maybe focused on training. I had a I had a I had a thing where I was working in corporate recruiting and very successful. You know, we this was around 2008, 2009, 2010. We had some government contracts, um, but it was fast paced. And and by the end of me me being in that role, two and a half years, I was literally spending more time at my desk reading bodybuilding articles, writing programs for people within the office. And that point came is like frank maybe you need to go do something with this 
this on your own. So I'm curious for you, was there kind of like a revelation period where it's like, hey, I'm spending more time writing programs than I am actual physical work. Maybe let me see if there's something on the business side here for me. I, I definitely, I was done with my old job. You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> Excuse me. So like, it was time for me to move on. And it just so happened that, um, I mean, I had no plans in my life to ever own a gym, to ever do strongman, to ever be a coach. None of those things were planned in my life. You know what I mean? Uh, I just kind of move on to the next thing. And at the time I was done with being away from home. I was done with traveling. I was done with bureaucracy. I was like, I don't want a boss. I don't want to answer to anyone. I just want to do my own thing. And uh, it just, it kind of grew out of what I was already doing. And then um, I guess me getting in a strong man. Uh, yeah, I guess, I, I guess I can go into that story if you, if you'd like me to go into that story. Please, now. Yeah, no. Yeah. Tell us, tell us, tell us the story of how you, of how you got into to strong man. When I knew that I was going to leave my old job, I, I didn't really know what my next step was. I remember sitting there um, around all my buddies and I was writing down on like a piece of paper, every job that I think that I might be interested. In, I was like underwater welder, like, but just like putting in anything that I could think of that I have zero qualifications for, but I'm like, maybe that sounds interesting to me. You know, I, I remember that specifically because they were all throwing out much more interesting job things than I was actually writing down, obviously, you know? And uh, when I left, I still didn't really know what I was going to do. Uh, but at the time I had met up with an individual who was sponsoring a guy named Mike Jenkins, who uh, used to be part of the strongman world. He was an American strongman, a really good, really good guy. Um, never won America, uh, never won world strongest man, but he was always near the top. And uh, I went to high school with the guy. And after high school, we were both personal trainers. Mike was getting into strongman. I was doing MMA at the time. All that I knew about strongman was that everyone was like seven feet tall and like 400 pounds. And that's not me. And I wasn't interested in being like a big fat guy. I was like, I just, yeah, Mike, I'll do a competition with you sometime. I was just kind of placating, you know what I'm saying? When I was getting out of my old job, I ran into this guy who was Mike's sponsor at the time. And uh, he said, hey, man, uh, Mike wants to get back with you. You want to get with Mike? Mike wants to get involved in straw, man. Uh, I'm going to have a Christmas party. Why don't you guys both come? You guys can meet back up there. I agree to it. But that Thanksgiving morning, uh, Mike died in his sleep. He died. So uh, instead of going to the Christmas party, we ended up going to the funeral uh, for Mike. And I remember all those times that I told him that I'd do a straw man competition with him and all those things. And you know how it is at like funerals when something like that happens. And I was like, man sign me up wherever the next thing is sign me up right and uh it just so happened to be in west virginia so uh i go to west virginia i've never done strongman training before right the week prior i've never touched a log i've never touched an atlas stone I've, i don't know anything about it i lift weights right but i'm doing like more mma stuff so like pull-ups meant more to me and like doing double unders with jump ropes and stuff meant more to me than like anything that was like big and heavy so the week prior uh i went to mike's wife Carrie Jenkins at the time. Now she's Carrie Shaw. She's Brian Shaw's wife now. Um, I went up to her place and she offered to show me like they had a strongman gym and a CrossFit gym. And so there was all the equipment. So I got to go up and I got to pick up an Atlas stone and Carrie was not a strongman competitor, but she had been around like all these like world championship guys who she's like, I've seen them do this. I've heard them say this. So she gave me a couple tips. And the next week I went to West Virginia, competed and won, which gave me a trip to nationals. Um, and I was like, man, I just, I didn't even know how to do this. And I, I won, I'm going to train a little bit. I'm going to go in and be a national champion. Gonna be great. This could be no problem at all. Right. So nationals comes along and I just get rushed. You know what I mean? Like I finished in like 22nd place or something. 
And it was a real eye opener that like, this is, this is not just like what I thought it was like a local level or whatever. Um, and I actually felt at the time, I was like, you know what, maybe this isn't for me. Uh, so I was, that was going to be the end of my strongman career. And on the way home, literally we had a, a stopover in like Vegas or something like that. And there I found out that Maryland's strongest man was being held in like two weeks. I had already cut the weight. I was like, if I won, I'm from Maryland, born and bred from Maryland. I was like, if I won Maryland's strongest man, that would probably mean more to me than like a national championship. I decided to compete and, uh, Ended up winning that. And once I did that, I was like, okay, like, I, I don't suck at this. I enjoy it. It has to do with, like, lifting. Maybe this is what I'll do. Uh, and literally within, like, two months, I opened a strongman gym. And now we have world champions and everything else. Yeah, it's, a, it's an incredible yeah, incredible, incredible story. Um, I mean, it sounds like so much of this came natural and, and innately to you. I know you mentioned you had previous martial arts background. Uh, prior to the strongman, what was, you know, what was your training, you know, tr tr training like, like, I mean, athlete growing up, like, were you in, involved in sports? Yeah. Walk us through a little bit of, of like your training leading up to the strongman. So I guess I started lifting when I was like mid teens, like 13, 12, 13, like everyone else, like getting to like high school and you, you start benching for the first time. You know what I mean? I can remember getting stapled bench curls. Like yeah. 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 Cause like all the guys, all the guys who were like worth anything had like 135 on the bar. And I was like, can't be that bad. So I, I remember taking that off there and just getting stapled and being like, that is a lot heavier than everyone else is making it look. So, um, yeah, I started lifting then and, uh, I got strong pretty fast. Like, uh, I've always done construction with my dad. My dad has a construction company. So I've been a laborer since I literally was like five years old, like lit and a lot of energy. So my dad would always be like, Hey, dig a hole and like fill it big back in. Like, how many nails could you put in this piece of wood type of like dumb stuff, you know? So I had a certain amount of like pure strength just from doing manual labor uh, that started transitioning over to, to allow the barbell once I started learning some technique. And I remember in high school, I got up to a 315 bench and uh, for my weight at the time, pound for pound, it was between Mike Jenkins and myself. Uh, we had a really cool strength coach uh, who would just kind of have like competitions that it was like, how many times can you bench your body weight? And that was the strongest kid in the gym. And, we got t-shirts and cool, just cool motivating things for like kids, you know? And uh, it always came down to Mike Jenkins and myself and this one other chick who had the, who was the strongest person in school. And then, uh, like I said, it, it kind of went on from there. But at that time, uh, I had never deadlifted until I was mid twenties, mid thirties, because uh, we had a football coach in high school who was big into the bench, was big into the squat, like an actual parallel squat and the power clean, but he didn't really deadlift. He never did. Said it was bad for your back. So um, I didn't do that until I was like 26. Didn't really feel a need for it. Uh, and just did basic, I guess, like powerlifting type of lifts, except started adding in a lot of like giant set type of training and things like that with like a push, a pull, uh, some type of core, and then aerobic conditioning all involved in like one giant movement like that because I was doing the fighting stuff. So I wanted to be big. I wanted to be strong. I also wanted to have a gas tank too. You know what I mean? And then that, when, when I went over to Strongman, I mean, that led very well over to the government stuff because you can't just be a, a meathead in the government and you can't just be a runner in the government either, like for doing the jobs I was doing. And then it just trans over Strongman. Because Strongman, I know people hate it when people say it, but it, it's basically like CrossFit for like bigger, stronger individuals. You know what I mean? Like you have to be good at a million different things. You have to be able to run around. It's not like you can just stand them on spot. Like, 
Yeah, I've had I've always had so much respect. I mean, I've you know I have I've a, a, a few friends that have competed in in the strongman space. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Elliot Hulse, um, big big time YouTuber. Um, you know, was a pro, was a pro strongman for a while. It was something I never got into because by the time I was 24, 25, like I was you know I was focused on the bodybuilding stuff that I had been you know that, that that I was doing, and that was all around you know training for aesthetics and you know we we train to look a particular way like i always placed somewhat of a priority into the strength component like it wasn't always about the look like i wanted to be strong but never got into some of the things that 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 you guys do i'm curious brian what makes a good strong man honestly you have to be well-rounded right because every single strongman event not every single one but uh the majority of strongman events have five different events in a day right so number one you have to compete in five different strength things in a day which if you've done any powerlift or anything like Three is enough. Five is five is too many, right? Like it's a lot. Um, and you always have some sort of deadlift. You always have some sort of like medley where you have to actually pick things up, heavy things like 300 plus pound things and run as fast as you can with them. Sometimes it's a yoke that can be up to like eight, 900 pounds. So you you have to do things like that. You have to be able to pick things up, load them over top bars. You have to be able to overhead press. There is not really a bench press in Strongman. Every once in a while, it'll show up. But for the most part, you're doing some sort of overhead press with some odd object. So like you have to be able to throw things that you have to be able to do like absolutely everything. Really, it comes down to who can not suck at everything. I mean, if you like zero, if you zero something, if you can't lift it or can't do anything, it's really, really hard to place well in a competition, right? You at least need to be on the board with something and you need to win a couple of events. But like if you came in second all the way across the board, most likely you're probably going to win that event unless a guy came in first before you and like everything because you just... You have to be able to do absolutely everything well. So a lot of people get held back as strongman because of the press. Like overhead press for a lot of people, strength-wise, is, is probably a, a tough thing to develop. And most people growing up didn't start overhead pressing until kind of later in their lifting journey because everyone's just bench press, bench press. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I know this is probably an impossible question to answer because it's going to have so many factors based upon a training cycle, where a person is at, you know, competition and whatnot. But in a strongman, you know, program, uh, what percentage of it is focused on your traditional, you know, powerlifting moves, you know, your squat, your bench, your deadlift and any other accessories. And then what percentage is like the carry where you're with the stones? Is is there a percentage balance that is kind of ideal for strongman training? I think it, it depends on what competition is coming up because every single competition has different events, right? So if you have a competition coming up with certain events, then you think the training is going to kind of gravitate more towards that as you get closer to the event, obviously. But if you were just talking about general strongman training, for me personally, I carry at least twice a week, like typically like something like a sandbag or a farmer's carry or a yoke or a waiter's walk, something like that. At least twice a week, I'm doing that. Um, a lot of times for strongmen, since we don't compete often with traditional lifts other than maybe like the deadlift, a lot of times you're working variations that, that are going to be more advantageous for your strongman career. So like instead of a squat, you'd be doing like a front squat, an SSB squat, a Zercher squat. Not saying you won't ever do a back squat, but like you rarely will ever compete with a back squat in strongman. It's typically you're squatting a car, you're squatting something else, or you're front holding something, or you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're you're building up different different areas. But I, I would say uh I mean it for me personally, like it starts out with something like dynamic, like a it'll either start or finish with some sort of carry or conditioning or something. Because so much of strongman is like as many reps as you can in 60 seconds. And if you've ever tried to deadlift 550 pounds as many times as you can in 60 seconds, it sucks, right? Like you can do it once, great. Twice, great. You get to like six to 10 to 12 and like 
the puke zone is there within like 45 seconds of your set. You know what I mean? And uh, yeah. so you have to train that. You need to be able to like everything from like your lactate to your lungs to your, your pain threshold to just like the suck of like, I, I can't believe I do another rep of this. And you're just like <laughs> deadlifting up like that. You know what I mean? And uh, so, I, I mean, there, I always end or start with something hard no matter what. Um, and then the middle, I would say I, I take a strength exercise in giant set form. Um, so like an overhead press, right? Some form of it. Say I'm doing the log. So I would do like weighted pull-ups to a log to some sort of core variation and then restart it and just go like that. And then my assistant stuff would typically be more like event focused for like the log. Maybe you're doing like three rounds of 60 seconds, as many reps as you can in 60 seconds. You know what I mean? Those types yeah. of things. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm laughing because, you know, some of this, it, it flows off your tongue so easily and naturally. Like, yeah. Have you ever tried to deadlift 550 pounds as many reps as you possibly can within 60 seconds? And it's like, there's 1%, if maybe half a percent of the population that is going to understand what that feels like. Most people are like, God, I, I don't even know what it would feel like to attempt to deadlift it once. So it's just, it's, 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 it's fascinating. Just kind of the, you know, the, the, the levels that these things are at. At your gym, what percentage of uh, the members or, or the people that you work with are at that elite level? Or do you have people that are coming in that are like, I, I guess do like, does the average person utilize strongman training? And if so, how can it benefit them in their life? My gym currently is a private gym. Like when COVID hit, we shut it down and we just kept it open to the to the members who were kind of like grandfathered in. So they they go there for free now. But like, I mean, at its peak, there were a smithering of like world champions and world record holders and stuff like that. But I'd say the majority, the majority of the members were normal people who ended up doing things like winning Maryland strongest woman or Maryland strongest man, like yeah. getting that type of level or, or winning strongman competitions and stuff like that. But they walked in as like a soccer mom or just a normal dude who had done some powerlifting or liked to lift weights and had watched ESPN. You know what I mean? And, uh, but like, for a normal person, I cannot describe how important something like strongman training is because I, I use the example of sandbags because uh, that's something I've been talking a lot about lately. So it's just been on my mind. But um, like picking up a sandbag versus doing a barbell deadlift, right? If you can pick up a 200 pound sandbag, you can do just about anything in your normal life. You know what I mean? If you can deadlift 500 pounds on a barbell, you can deadlift 500 pounds on barbell. Will that make you better at like, Picking up a couch, you're stronger than the average guy, absolutely. But like a box of books or something, you never get into that extreme deficit, leaned over, rounded back. But if you train with sandbags, that's absolutely what you do. When you take out the trash, when you pick up dog food, if you're carrying groceries, you're doing like farmer's walks. If you're doing like strongman training, it literally comes from dudes sitting around going, hey, man, I bet you can't pick that up and carry it over there. I bet you can't throw that over that. You know what I mean? So it literally mimics the things in your normal life. Like the Atlas stones are actually come from like manhood stones in like Scotland and I, I, a lot of cultures uh, like Icelandic and things like that, where either to prove that you could work on like a fishing boat or to prove that you were a man and part of the tribe, you needed to be a certain strength. And to prove that you need to pick up a certain size stone and like load it onto something or carry it around a sheep pen or do something like that. It was like, Tests of strength like that, like a rite of passage. And that's literally what it is. But the thing is, back in the day, no, no, there was no Vikings laying down underneath a log, laying down, being like, 
do three more, bro. Like, get it. You know what I mean? Like, that, that wasn't there. It was literally an overhead press, a deadlift. Like, squatting makes sense. If you watch, like, Strongman, you see them pick up barrels. You see them pick up rocks. Fingle fingers where they're literally picking up a log and just walking it up and stuff like that. It's very useful things for everyday life. So if you get strong at carrying a sandbag, when you go to pick up a bag of dog food and you haven't been used to training with it, literally it feels like you have superpowers. So especially for a lot of my female clients, uh, it's life-changing, right? Because it's empowering because literally stuff where they would have needed help in like, a, if they go to Lowe's, they're like, man, I don't want to have to ask that dude, like gives me weird looks, whatever. But now they don't need to. They can pick all that stuff up, carry it, do whatever, like. 50 pound bags of sand, not a big deal. 80 pound bag of concrete, not a big deal because they know how to pick those things up now. But if a girl can deadlift 315 pounds, you tell her to pick up an 80 pound bag of concrete, you don't know what's going to happen there. You know what I mean? So I, I can't stress like being able to pick up odd, cumbersome, weird objects, I think is a massive life skill, especially moving further along because how many people hurt their backs putting like a kid into a car seat or you know, just doing dumb things, shoveling snow, picking, taking the trash can. That's when people get hurt, right? Because they're not perfectly set up in you know, deadlift position. To, and so I, I think that training is invaluable, man. I think everyone, and plus you get weird muscles from it, right? Like you think about wrestlers. If you've ever watched a wrestler, like tied up with a wrestler, like they have different type muscles, it's almost like old man strength. And it, it comes from stuff mm-hmm. like sandbag type of training, right? It doesn't come like my dad had, my dad's never picked up a barbell in his entire life. He's never been a lifter. He's never doing anything. He's done construction, right? So at 63, at my gym, he decides he wants to start doing something. The only thing he really feels like doing is deadlifting. So literally within a year, within, he's never been on TRT. He's a completely natural. He's, he's just an old man, right? At 64 years old, he deadlifted 485 pounds, which is massive for anybody of any age. But he was doing it, and he was really mad because he didn't get to 500 pounds. And literally, it's not because he trained deadlift. It's because he's been picking up dumb, stupid, heavy stuff on a construction site forever. You know what I mean? Like, I think that type of training is invaluable for people. And I wish people took more seriously. But because it doesn't, like, build your pecs or, like, up your powerlifting total or whatever, a lot of people, it's tough sell. Do you think, do you think it's a turnoff for people? You know, like, as, when we think strong, man, right? You know, you kind of mentioned at the beginning, right? You think of these seven-foot guys, a guy like Brian yeah. Shaw, that is just almost like, you look at him, you're like, are we even the same species, right? Like, these, these, these humans are just made completely different. Yes. And I think the fact that it's called strong, man, it's like, ah, like, I'm not, I'm not that guy. But where I hear you say it is like, all this carryover and crossover, it's like, this is really the, the, the functional type of training that we could all be benefiting from. I mean, do you think that there's an element where maybe some people People hear straw man are like, ah, oh, that's that's not for me. And if so, how can we maybe kind of change the paradigm of how people view this outside of like just having these conversations? Well, it, it's funny that you say uh like different species, because I've, I've I've hung out with Brian Shaw, I've been to his house, spent the night stuff. Like when I go into a room, I'm not trying to be cocky here. When I go into a room, most of the time, I'm usually one of the larger individuals, if not how big how big are you? Room. Like 230, six foot tall, you know what I mean? Okay. Um, yeah, I'm si- I'm okay. six three two fifty two this morning. So right. I, I, so I feel the same. You're a big same, guy in the room, the right? Thing. Like you walk in, yeah. People take notice of you. The first, well, the first time I met Brian Shaw was was first Maryland Strongest Man. He was there. He gave me my medal. It was a really cool experience, and I didn't know him at the time. So he was actually there for like a training partner who ended up becoming one of my training partners. That's how I got to go with Brian Shaw and stuff. Um. Anyway, so I knock on his hotel his hotel room door because I'm supposed to come hang out at the Arnold. He opens a door and like. 
he creeps through like it's the Lord of the Rings type of situation, you know what I mean? And he's like, hey, I'm Brian. I'm like, yeah, I know. Like, I'm, I'm Brian too, right? Like, go shake his hand. And <laughs> we're like, there's pictures of us like doing like the bro, like Arnold Schwarzenegger hand clap, like hug thing. And the size of our bodies, like the arms, the hands, our heads, like it just doesn't make sense. When we would go out to a restaurant, he would go to sit at a table and he couldn't sit like at a normal, like if you go to like an Applebee's, I don't know, like a normal size table, you know what I mean? His legs don't go underneath the table. Like it's so ridiculous. It is a completely different type of human being. But um, the thing is with Strong Man, like it started out with circus like performers, right? And yeah. like it's still got that essence of a freak show because everybody wants to see something that like is superhuman. And like when you see, you look at bodybuilding, right? Like there's a reason why like natural bodybuilding isn't as big as like the other bodybuilding. There's a reason why people like Ronnie Coleman might not have been as symmetrical, but when you're a monster, people are like, I really like the monster, right? And like, that's why Brian Shaw and Thor were like the two biggest strongmen for a very long time because they were the ones that were seven feet tall, even among the strongmen, they look like men among boys. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, Cause they were literally just a foot taller. Like it, it looked funny, but strongman has weight classes all the way down to like 150 pounds and below. You know what I mean? So everyone can participate everyone and it's getting more and more popular and things like that. I mean, to be honest, it sounds terrible to say, but not a lot of people watch the lower weight classes because it doesn't have the appeal that like the big crazy show does. But I mean, if you watch like 200 pounders or like 220, 230 pound guys, you get such a mix of like athleticism plus the strength. So you, like you said, like at, at a 230 pound competition, like when, when I used to compete all the time, I, I used to compete at 230. For something like that, I like it, it wasn't rare to have a 600 plus pound deadlift for as many reps as possible in a minute. And guys would be getting double digits. Because you have guys who are as almost as strong as the really big guys, but they still don't burn as much oxygen because they don't have as much muscle mass. So they can still do incredible mm -hmm. things like carries and doing things. So it's kind of like watching UFC, right? Everyone watches the heavyweights because you're waiting for that knockout, right? But like if you watch like the light heavyweights, you get that mix of like power and speed and it's, it's crazy, right? You watch little guys because you're like, how are they still going? Right. But you rarely see like the knockout. It's just, it's a different thing. Right. And, and different for whatever reason, man, people like the big guys. They like the big guys. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's funny. It's funny. You mentioned the, uh, the, the USC because, you know, at the time of this recording guys, we got the, uh, we got the Jones fight coming up this weekend and I've been having more conversations around MMA UFC this, this past week or two because of this fight, because it's, you know, the return of Jones, he's stepping up in the weight class. And for me, as being a bigger guy, like I've always enjoyed the super heavyweights because it's like, yeah, I get the technicality side and I'm not a fighter. So maybe watching some of the things, I don't really understand the moves, but seeing two guys that are 140, it's like, it's like watching, you know, my little brother, you know, like, but you see right. Brock right. Lesnar, right. 260, right. like knock a guy, like it, it, it looks different. It feels different. Just watching 100%. it. So I kind of understand definitely what you're saying on the, on the, on the strong man side of things. So you competed at 230. So was that a was that a heavyweight? Was that a light heavyweight? I mean, these guys like Shaw, these are heavy. super, super heavyweight. Okay. Yes. And so there's a I couple mean, levels up. Different from... federations have different uh or different sanctioning bodies have different weight classes, yeah. things like that. But um my heaviest ever was 273 uh when I went up to heavyweight because the bigger the better, kind of at that point, you know what I mean? Um, but it it really uh, to be honest with you, I won more things at heavyweight. Then I did light heavyweight 
simply because the heavyweight guys couldn't move and I still could. At two, because I was like bulking up to that weight instead of, you, you know what I mean? Like some of those guys, like I'm, I'm six foot tall. If you're six four, you have a lot harder time being lighter. You just, you have more body, you know what I mean? And so those guys were, have to cut to that weight and I'm trying to bulk up. I'm eating whatever I want. So in heavyweight, that was actually easier for me as far as competition went. Yeah. And you're not, you're not still competing today. You've, you've retired from the competitive side of things. That's a really good question. Uh, so when I was 273, one day I showed up at my gym in the morning and I mean, I've taken a protein shake every single morning, literally like since I was a teenager, right? Like since protein shakes existed, I've been taking protein shakes, right? Like one a day, every morning, no matter what, like you wake up, you snap the protein shake, doesn't matter. Right. And, uh, one day I drank the protein shake and I was like, Hmm, that made me feel funny. I don't like how this made me feel. And, uh, I started feeling a little bit sick. The next day, same thing happened, happened again, happened again. Then one day I threw up and I was like, I don't really throw up very often unless it's like from a drinking escapade, like to, at the time, you know what I mean? And I was like, this isn't good. I, I don't feel like I have like the flu or anything, but every single morning I feel sick and now I'm throwing up. Anyway, then I went to like two, three, four times a day, started going to the doctor, no notes going on. Anyway, I keep getting more and more and more sick. And it got so bad to the point that I was throwing up 30, 50 times a day and stopped eating. So I went to 273 all the way down to like 207, literally within Did you say like a couple 30 to 50 times, 30 to 50 times a yeah. day. So I stopped eating because I I would I remember one time I was in Walmart buying dog food and I was just standing there minding my own business. And when I throw up, because I still throw up to this day, it's why my voice I have to keep coughing and like clearing my voice stuff because it's like scarred up and biled up and stuff. Um, and, uh, I was in Walmart buying dog food and like, was just sitting there and some dudes walking by me and I'm just like, Bang! and just threw up on the floor. And like, I know that sounds like, that sounds kind of funny, you know, or like I'd be driving and literally just throw up on myself and be like, well, I guess I'm not going out to dinner with my in-laws now because I puke all over myself. You know what I mean? Um, but it got embarrassing. It got embarrassing and it got, uh, I don't know it. I mean, the amount of weight that I was losing, you know, as like, as a bigger guy, if you've been a bigger guy for a long time, it becomes part of your identity. And when like your shirt doesn't fit the same or like whatever, like it messes with your head a little bit. I know it's not supposed to, but like real talk, it does, right? You're like, man, these are getting loose. So it does not the same, you know? And uh, like all that was happening. And uh, so I, I had to stop eating because I would just randomly throw up all over the place and drop literally like 70 pounds and um, went to the doctor. This went on for years. I mean, I guess three, four years went on before I was at the Arnold. Uh, I had torn my rotator cuff at the last national championships because I was still competing through all this and doing everything. Got to the national championships, was on the overhead press, tore my rotator cuff because I couldn't heal. I couldn't hold on to nutrients, you know what I mean? Already insomniac, we talked about that for a second before the show. Um, so I, I don't heal well. My recovery is not great. Tore my rotator cuff, had to get surgery. From that surgery, when they put the, uh, when they put the, the pin in, Apparently it was dirty somehow or that something, I got a bone marrow infection from that, which was brutal. I almost died. Right. And so now I have to give myself four needles a day and I'm not a big fan of needles. And I'm going to the Arnold because I'm trying to like save my YouTube career as like a fitness guy because I've dropped 70 pounds, can't compete. I'm dying people. You know what I mean? Anyway, I'm at the Arnold and I run into Mark Bell who I'm, I'm friends with. And uh, Mark Bell is this, this big powerlifts guy. I'm not, if, if you don't mm -hmm. know who he is. And um, I'm a big fan of Mark. Yeah, he's awesome dude. And like, so I run into Mark and Mark's like, hey man, I heard you dying. I'm like, yeah, we don't know what's going on. And he's like, hey, I have a friend in New York City. If you want to travel, 
she only deals with like Navy SEALs, Delta, like due to have been overseas, maybe it's something that you got from your last job. Maybe she could talk to you. People in Carroll County, Maryland, don't see a lot of people like me, right? And so my wife and I are at our wits end. I literally, every single doctor I go to is like, bro, you are the healthiest dying dude that I know. Like you gotta get this figured out. So I, I drive up to New York and I see uh, Gabriel Lyon is actually uh, the doctor. She's really, she, she's blowing up now. And uh, yeah, no, time, Dr. Gabriel is amazing. She's like on social media, right? And uh, so literally I walk in her office and she's like, stick out your tongue. I stick out my tongue and she's like, you have worms. And I was like, good to know. She's like, guys who do what you do, uh, oftentimes have parasites that people don't see. Uh, what I had ended up being schistomiasis is one of them. I had a couple different parasites. But the actual one that was almost killing me was called schistomiasis. And that can hold late dormant in your system for years. So I could have had this for a decade. We don't know. Anyway, it kills 240,000 people in Africa alone every single year. But like there, like it's normal, like they see signs of it. They take a 30 cent pill, no problem. But here it was literally months of doctors going, I have no idea. I, I've never seen this happen to somebody before. So once that got, got treated, um, I didn't have the parasites anymore, but the damage had been done from them eating and just infesting and doing what bugs do inside of a human being, as gross as that is. Um, and so it really messed with my brain. And like to, to even tell you like a couple of stories, like, I've never been afraid of heights or anything in my life. Like, my entire life, I've been, like, stupid daredevil kid. Like, I was that kid. You know what I mean? Uh, and then when, when the worms, literally for, like, four years of my life, I couldn't even get up on a stepladder because I was so terrified of heights. I suddenly became claustrophobic of things. And when I went to the doctor, like, she was, when I talked to Dr. Lyon, she was immediately, like, she could see that, like, because, bro, I, I mean, you throw up 30, 50 times a day. I've had the flu for years, right? Imagine what your mindset's at. Right. I, I was not in a super bright place. Right. I walk in the doc's office and she can see, she, she works, she sees. Right. And she's like, this isn't you. She's like, what's going on with you, man. It makes me cry. Like she was like, what's going on with you is not you. That's not, you're not controlling that. Like you have parasites inside you controlling you. And uh, literally as it got cleared, right. I had to go do hyperbaric treatments, which was really hard because I became claustrophobic. Right. And I'm not talking hyperbaric treatments like you hear like the Olympians, like I slept in a little tent. It was great. They literally stick you in a tank. It's like a little coffin, not a little coffin, like it, it's decent sized coffin, but like literally like, like submarine you, you go down. And if you have a panic attack inside there, they can't bring you out because you're, it's like you're underwater. So it takes like 10 minutes to depressurize you. So if you're straight up having a panic attack, you ride it out and like they, they can't bring you out of it. You get the bends, right? Anyway, I had to do that every single day for months, right? To heal my brain and it did amazing things for me. Anyway, now, zero fear of heights, zero claustrophobia, all those things because my brain's healing. I only throw up probably like three to five times a day, um, like now on average. And most time, it sounds funny, but when you throw up this much, I imagine like bulimic people and stuff could probably relate, but like I, I can almost control like... If I'm like, you know how like a lot of people, cause they're not used to throwing up, are like, I'm gonna throw up and they throw up. Like I can be like, I'm gonna throw up. We need to find somewhere to pull over. Like, I, you know what I mean? Like there's a certain amount of control that I still have. Uh, sometimes I don't, sometimes it just happens. But uh, yeah, so it's getting better. And now that it's getting better, I'm finally starting to hold on to food. I feel like training again, my body stopped getting hurt. Uh, so now starting to get a little stronger again, 
And I'm thinking, maybe, I don't know. I'm in Masters now. Uh, I would, to be honest with you, I don't think I could beat Masters. I think I would go open because my thinking is if I go open and I win, then all those guys are going to feel really bad. But if I go Masters and lose, then I'm going to feel really bad. (laughs) Because the old man, I don't want to get beat by old men. But if I get beat by young men, I'm like, what's supposed to happen? So I don't know what will actually happen. The weights are very similar either way, but I'll be able to do them overly. God, Brian, brother, man. What a... Yeah, what a what a story, dude. I mean, we've you know, hundred I think you know episode one seventy nine here. So, I knew bits. I knew bits of that. I think that there were. I think there were. I think there were some things that you shared here that that didn't come up in my 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 initial research. Um, I mean, it, I I think it brings a whole lot more meaning to your shirt, though, right? You know, I opened up with asking you what does it mean to die empty, and it's kind of like a a way of life for you. And it's like here you've been at the brink of your own death. I mean, literally, probably feeling like this. You know, when is this thing going to to end? So to have that as a as a slogan and something that you proudly wear around, it's like it has a whole a whole layer of depth behind it, right? It's like here's a man that has faced his own death multiple times and he's telling you that you need to die daily like in the gym it's like whoa let's kind of really 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 open up i feel you on kind of the the returning back because uh even like die empty was one of the first things we did but then i got inspired like two years into like my whole journey because um we started to have some adaptive athletes come and adaptive athletes means like uh they don't have arms legs like one of our dudes has cp like um they have to adapt right they have, they have different things going on that isn't like normal lifting and i came up with a shirt it actually brought a lot of these guys to the gym that said suffer beautifully. It's like kind of like, like an oxymoron, right? Like suffer beautifully because so much, so much of my training has to do with mental side from my old job to this, like, man, if, if you do the right things with your body, a plus B will always equal C. It's not that hard. Right. The thing is, why won't you do a, why won't you do C? And why won't, you know what I mean? Like the, that's the real question. Yeah. And um, like with the suffer beautifully thing, I came down to like, look, man, Every single person suffers, whether like you're watching your mom be sick, whether you have this problem in your life, like you hate your job, like everyone is suffering, but you can either like whine and complain. You can like kick your dog. You can be mean to your wife or like you can suffer beautifully. Right. And like in a world where everyone's like hard things, like when I brought out like suffer beautifully, it was like such a a different thing. And if, if you, if you go to my YouTube channel or my webpage, um, Suffer beautifully. The video will pop up. And if you watch it, you're going to be like, I'm not crying, bro. You're crying. I'm not crying. Because it's, it's watching the adaptive guys do their thing to like music. That's just, it's, it's gorgeous. And like, uh, to, to give you an idea, like the first adaptive guy came through my door. Uh, I didn't know he was coming. I was kind of getting bigger on YouTube. And uh, this dude comes to the door and they're, they're visitors all the time. And this guy comes to the door and I go to shake his hand. And I'm like, I didn't just get a whole hand. There's part of a hand. I look at his other arm and it's gone from like the elbow down, right? So he's got half a hand and an arm. And he walks the door and he's like, hey, I'm here to train. And I'm like, awesome. You guys go ahead, uh, sign this paperwork, all these waivers. I'm going to go over here. I need to deal with something. And I walk over and I'm like freaking out. I'm like, what am I going to do? I don't know how to work. I don't, I've never worked with like an adult. I don't know what I'm doing. What am I going to do, right? And uh, my buddy Nick, who is, who is now a world champion strongman, uh, he's, he's one of my buddies, coaches at the time. He, he turns to me, he's like, hey, Brian, check it out. And the dude with half an arm and like half a hand was doing muscle ups on a bar 10 feet up on this, on this rack. And I turned around, and I saw that. And literally my brain was like, like, like I was like, everything that I thought was possible has kind of changed, right? And then people just started coming to my life, dudes without legs. 
dudes with CP, like tomorrow, the dudes with CP and I are going to be hanging out. Like uh, the guy, if you guys want to check out the guy without arms, legs, doing like bent banded bench presses and stuff, balanced on his elbows and cleaner presses on his elbows. His name is Zabi Osa, X-A-B-I-O-S-A. You check him out on Instagram. He's a CrossFit competitor now. He wasn't at the time, but now he's like literally like way up at the top of adaptive CrossFit. Um, just absolutely incredible, incredible individual. And just, yeah, I, it's stuff like that. It, like, like how I said, things happen naturally. Like one day this dude walks in my life and I'm like, what the heck? And now he's like this awesome CrossFit guy. And people are like, I have that story with like a ton of people, right? Like it just worked. Like it, the right people have been there at the right time. That's incredible, man. And I'm sure it's such a, you know, such a paradigm shifting moment for you when you see these people in these circumstances, situations doing these, you know, unthinkable things. It's like, God, like he's doing this. Like, how am I like, what, what excuse am I going to give myself here today? Right. You know, there's a guy, uh, a friend, you know, a, a friend, um, not as close now as I was, cause he's really blown up socially over the last couple of years, Nick, Nick Santanasasso. So he, he was local here in Tampa born with this rare disease, no legs, one arm, one finger, and that's it. And there's a video that went viral of him in the gym flipping um, a tire, like uh, a true yes, like idea. monster truck tire. I mean, probably, yeah. So if you, yeah, so I'm, I'm sure you probably have. And it's just when you see that, it's like, it's, the excuse has got to go out the window, man. Like, here's a guy that is just getting after it. And it's like, I mean, it, it's it's so in, so inspiring uh, to, to see and hear. When did, legs or not want to do squats. Like, you yeah. know how many guys I know that don't have legs that would die to like do squats? Yes. And, like, like, I'm too blessed not to do it. I have to do it, man. You know what I mean? Like when people are like, why do you work out? And why do you work out so intensely? I'm like, because I can, there's going to come a day when I can't, you know, like I'm too blessed not to take advantage of what I have in my life right now, because man, today are the good old days. Today is the youngest that you're ever going to be. Today's like the prettiest you're ever going to be. Being on YouTube is a blessing. Also a curse. Cause you look back to five years ago and you're like, man, I look, I look better. I didn't think I looked good then but i wish i looked like that now you know what i mean like like things things change you know but i'm sure you i'm sure you've you know maybe maybe had this real yeah I don't, I don't know what was going on in mike's life at the time but here was this power lift you know you we talked about it earlier uh earlier in the beginning of the the conversation where it's like you had all these plans to go to the holiday party and the straw man and like here he doesn't wake up and it's like i'm sure going to bed that night before mike was planning on waking up the next day and it's like we've been gifted this day let's push it to the limit let's die today let's let's go to bed empty tonight because we're not guaranteed the next one so i love your whole like mentality you man i love right? i love like, the whole perspective like your dad calls and you're like, you look at the phone and you're like, how oh, do I feel like talking to my dad? Yes, you do. Because this might be the last time you're going to talk to him. Right. Or like, you don't feel like taking that extra minute to like walk your dog or spend the time to hug your wife or like just little things that take no time, but they're annoyance. Right. You're like, Oh, I don't feel like doing that, bro. There's going to come a time when you're going to wish that you had one more chance, one more, this one more, that right. Like, you got to take advantage because, man, like, I'm 42 now. I never thought I'd ever get to 42, right? And, like, I can't believe how fast it went. I was 16, like, an hour ago. Like, every single person, like, just realize how awesome your life is and how many good things you have. And you live in an incredible time, right? Like, an incredible time. Like, any question that you have about lifting, about anything, you have the answer to. When I grew up, like, you asked some big guy at the gym and read Muscle and fitness, like those were your best like options. You know what I mean? The, the internet wasn't even there when I started, started lifting. So just there's so much there that people can take advantage of. I just, I hope they do. I hope everyone just 
Ducks every bit out of life they can. Dude, I, I remember the days, man, like going to the bookstore and, you know, looking for the muscle and fitness articles, you know, like you'd sit there and just like sitting on the floor. Like I didn't have money to, I didn't have money to be able to buy them. You know, I'm 15, 16 years old. It's like, I'm going to read, I'm going to read these magazines and hopefully remember some of this. So when I go to the gym the next day, it's like, I can pull. And then, you know, the, the bodybuilding forums in my early twenties became, and now, like you said, I mean, literally like we have a supercomputer in our pocket, any question that you have, it's, it's readily available right there, right there for you. When did YouTube uh, become a thing for you? And, 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 and when did that really begin to take off? So YouTube uh, started for me probably in like 2006, but I didn't show my face until 2014 because I was doing the old job where I couldn't show my face, right? I couldn't have social media. I couldn't do any of that. I wasn't supposed to have a YouTube page, but I was on T Nation at the time and I was keeping a uh, workout log in the log section, right? And it was very popular. It was one of the most popular. I was alpha on T Nation and it was a very popular training log and uh, people didn't believe that I could do what I was doing. And so to prove it, I got a little like click camera and would set it up in the gym, walk over and, and do like my set and then click it and like have my hat down, cover my face and log back and then post the video, right? And uh, still like on YouTube, it was alpha T Nation was my name because it was literally just proving that I could do what I was saying I was doing, right? And I, I had probably like a couple hundred followers that cared. And then uh, when I opened my gym, I found that there was stuff that I wanted to convey to my members that they could do almost homework on. So I wanted to make like a how to squat video or how to set up for the squat. So I did not spend so much time repeating myself so we could get more training in in the hour because I for my gym, I did like classes, almost like a CrossFit type of situation where like you had a team, like the five o'clock team showed up and no one missed. And if you did, like people were calling people and like 615 team, you know what I mean? No, no. So yeah, so uh, 2006, I mean, so early, I mean, you're an early, early, early adopter of, of YouTube when it was cat videos. Did you have foresight that it was going to, did you have the foresight that it was gonna become something or when did, when did it become clear? Like, hey, there's, there's maybe financial opportunities here on, on YouTube. So, uh, it didn't, I mean, I was making those videos for the people, right? Cause I, I wanted to fit more into a, in a training session. Um, so there was like how to squat, how to do things. Right. Anyway, I realized that I wanted to make money on YouTube somehow. So I was commenting on other like Mark Bell's channel, Alan Thrall's channel, like some of the bigger YouTube people, Omar Esau, like people like that. And, uh, just commenting, trying to be noticed, be like, Hey, I'm, I'm part of this team too. If you guys are interested, right. And Alan Thrall had a Q&A and asked, you can ask anything you want. And I asked, what should I do to gain more followers on YouTube? Because he was at like 400,000 at the time or something like that. And uh, he answered my question and then said, at the end, he was like, hey, man, I watched that bench video where you almost killed yourself. And at the time, I was benching 505. And he said that that bench where you're like 315, you almost killed yourself. And I was like, he's not talking about me. Like, I, I definitely didn't kill myself on a 315 bench, right? Like that, whatever. And so I ran him back. I'm like, man, thanks so much for answering, but that definitely wasn't me. So he looks up my stuff and he's like, I was wrong. It was the wrong guy. He's like, but I really like what you're doing. Would you like to make a video for my channel? And so I made a video for his channel and literally it was like the dream that everyone who gets involved in social media wants. Like I came home from the gym and like, it was like 2000 followers, 5,000 followers. Like it's just growing, growing, growing. And I ended up getting like up to like 8,000 followers, 10,000 followers, something in the first little blast. And then it started growing from there. But like when that first started happening, it really opened up me as a coach, right? Like people started being, I started believing I, I had something that people wanted to hear. 
and people were listening and people wanted to hear more. So uh, since then, now I have like over 800 videos, a quarter of a million followers. And like my full-time job is, well, my full-time job is more like lumberjack and run around on a, taking care of a property, but I make some videos sometimes and that's what pay the bills, you know? Yeah, that's amazing. Um, t- tell tell us about that uh, that property, and um, I mean, you're like a you're like you're a modern day lumberjack, you know, building building cabins with your bare hands and and chopping down chopping down trees. Where did this start? So I I grew up very early in the city and had in Baltimore City and had some really traumatic stuff happen, and uh, that's why I don't sleep. It's literally from some trauma that happened as a kid. Uh, it's followed me my whole life. Maybe really good at the counterterrorism job maybe hypervigilant, but a lot of things, but it has also hurt me a lot of ways in my life, right? We moved from that in this one really bad incident. Um, we, we got moved to the country uh, because of something almost happened to those kids. We got moved to the country and I found out that I love being in the woods. I love nature. I love like being around that type of situation. I don't hunt. I don't like doing any of those things. I just, I want to be in the woods. I want to chop things. I want to carve things, do, you know? And um, so when I got sick, We were literally renting a house, living like we're poor, trying to save every single dime for our own house, big situation type of thing. And when I got sick and literally thought I was going to die, it's amazing how clarity comes into your life. And it's like, all that other stuff doesn't matter. Like, find some place where I can heal. And like, I know that sounds weird. A lot of guys don't talk like that. But like, I needed to heal, right? Like, I still, I'm mentally still a little messed up from like, life like that, right? And uh, so when this opportunity came up, we, a piece of land opened up that had 27 acres and a river and a couple of streams leading on it. And we threw it all in and went for it. And it was during, it was right before COVID when no one wanted to buy a house. It was like real sketchy, but you got awesome deals. So we threw yeah. everything into it, went into COVID. We gave up internet. We gave up TV because the house it's in the middle of the wilderness. Literally there's no TV, no, no internet. So gave up all that, uh, as a YouTuber was like, I guess I'm not going to do internet anymore. Um, and moved on to this land and started learning like survival skills and homesteading stuff. And it's been awesome, like insane, absolutely insane. Like my dog, the dog sitting right here when we got in a fight with a like six point buck, literally like two months ago and was like all thrashed up underneath. Like she got in a fight with a, 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 um, raccoon, a rabbit raccoon. My wife got into the fight. She had to get needles and all types of things for rabies. Like crazy problems that like normal people don't have, but it's because I, I live in this awesome place and get to do these awesome things every day. So, uh, but yeah, we moved here so that I could heal. And I mean, that's, that's what I've been doing, you know? That's amazing, man. Um, I love, I love that. You know, I, you, you made the comment. It's like a lot of guys don't, you know, don't talk about healing and stuff like that. And I, I don't think one thing I, you know, share with you. So you've been talking about this bodybuilding and training and this kind of, you know, responsibility. I work in a healing space, man. So I, I help guys that are struggling with porn addiction. So healing is a part of, of, of my life. So I'm, I'm, I'm very open to these type of discussions, conversations, and I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for you kind of really, really opening up and getting, getting vulnerable here, here, here today. Yesterday I got accepted to uh, grad school to do therapy because I, uh, I want to go back to school and become a therapist for people who don't want to do therapy. Cause literally like everyone in my whole world, right. From my parents, I didn't believe in therapy and I was married to a therapist for like four <laughs> years and did not believe that therapy worked. I, didn't, I was like, therapy is important for like crazy people. Right. But it's not important for like normal everyday people. And like, I have like ridiculous bad trauma stuff from like my past as like a kid and stuff. I never thought it was a big deal. Like 
ridiculous stuff that like once I start talking about it, people are like, what are you talking? Like how that, how do you not think that's a big deal? But for so many people out there, you just drive through because in your space, like whether it be the blue collar space, the lifting space, the law enforcement, military, counterterrorism, my family, whatever, like it was always like, no, no, no. Like you help yourself. Like, and you do, don't get me wrong, but like everyone is suffering from something, right? And like, you can suffer beautifully or you can take it out on everyone else or you can become an alcoholic or you can like get addicted yeah. to porn or you can become a gambler. Or you can do a thousand different things that like a normal person could get away with, but you can't, right? And I want to be that guy who like talks like you, looks like you, acts like you, understands, has all this life experience just like you, but you can talk to me because I'm not like one of them. And I want to be able to bridge that gap because like, you know, the idea of masculinity and vulnerability in a lot of rooms can't talk about that. And I want to be the dude that's like the most masculine dude who's like, no, 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 you absolutely can. And here's why. Mm -hmm. Here's my story. Yes. Feel free to share whatever you do or don't want to share. But like, this opens the conversation so that dudes stop killing themselves. So dudes stop hating their yeah. lives. So dudes stop secretly like, like the porn, the alcohol, the whatever, right? Like there's, there's other things, there's other options, right? And if yeah, there's not class that, that example of talking about it, then no one else is going to. No, and I feel like you're, I feel like you're seeing a lot more of, of this, this come up. I mean, even, you know, you, you mentioned Mark Bell a handful of times, right? He's opened up with the Power Project. I mean, they, they go down so many different topics and angles and discussions. And it's, and, it, and it's so empowering to see a guy like Mark that's got hold all these world records and is incredibly successful in his businesses, but then open up and talk about some of his own struggles and bring people on to share their struggles as well. So, dude, I love hearing that, man. And I think for you, your authority, your position, your presence, your energy, everything about you is going to put you in a very, very powerful place to to really help men because i think we need to get past that you can't be masculine and vulnerable because i think one of the greatest signs of masculinity is the ability to be vulnerable not weak but vulnerable and say hey i've i've gone through these things and now i'm empowered through responsibility to change myself not just accept the status quo that yeah i'm broken and healed and i've had trauma it's like no this is a part of my story and i'm going to change it to lead me to to greater things, so that's amazing, amazing to hear, man. Exactly. That, that is that's something you. that's that's, victim, that's on your heart. But I, I, yes, I, I agree, man. I'm so glad that you're doing stuff with that, man. Because yeah, that's incredible, man. Um, tell us about uh, your website, your business, Never Sate. What does it mean? Where's like, where's what, what's the story behind all that? So Never Sate is my buddy's band name, and I didn't ask him before I used it. Right, so we're good <laughs> friends. And the band was defunct, right? Like they literally like many, many moons ago, uh, I was gonna go see his band and he's like, yeah, we're called Never Sate. And I was like, what does Never Sate mean? And he's like, never satiated, like never satisfied. And uh, I was like, well, that's kind of a cool name. And it stuck with me. Anyway, the band didn't go anywhere. Like they literally broke up like two weeks later. But it always sat in my head and literally for like a decade, it was rolling in my head, rolling in my head. And when I was gonna open a gym, I was like, what do I wanna say? Because I don't want my gym to just be like every other gym. I want it to stand for something else because I am such an emotional other type of being as well. And uh, the idea of never say to me is like constant and never ending improvement. Like whether that be physically, mentally, emotionally, like if your legs broke, that doesn't mean that you can't get more intelligent. That doesn't mean that you can't become more empathetic. You can't learn more about, you know, like there's always ways in your life that you can be working, to try to get better, to try to improve and to never stop sharpening your sword. You know what I mean? So that's what I mean by never yeah. say it. I don't mean some people are like, oh, like you mean like never like 
I don't know. It's not that you're not content with your life or you're not happy. It means that you're always trying to better your situation, right? Like, I feel like I can always be a better husband. I can always be a better lifter. I can always be a better driver. I can always be a better everything if I just put my intention, mindfulness, and actually pay attention to what I'm doing at the time instead of like, listen to my phone, texting, driving, like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm trying real hard right now just to be like where I'm at so that we're like this, like you get me right now. I'm not like also playing with kids or doing something, you know what I mean? And um, yeah, so that's that's like the whole never say thing. That's that's what it means to me. The word actually means a lot to me now, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's that's that, that, that that's awesome, man. Uh, well, guys, we'll get uh, Brian's YouTube channel, huge, I mean, over 800 videos. I'm gonna pull up some of these uh, Zabi ones as well. We'll link those down in the show notes. Make sure to check out the website here, Never Never Say. Now, you know you said the, the the gym is private now. So the vast majority of your work and coaching is 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 online. Then is that is that how you work with predominantly most of the people that you train is online? Where can people learn more about that? Is that going to be at the website? Yeah, I, I I write a lot of ebooks, uh, like program stuff, and that's that's my main source of income. Is people buy programs and ebooks, um, and stuff like uh, I just released a sixty sandbag sessions. Like I know we talk about sandbags and how whatever uh, you can help everyone, but the sixty sandbag sessions, the idea is it's. 10 minute long sessions that you can add to like whatever barbell program you're doing. So if you're trying to get into it, it tells you the first 20 pages is a whole like beginner's guide of what sandbag do I buy? What do I need? What's good? What's bad? And then each, anyway, it's that kind of stuff, right? That, that, that's the type of stuff I sell. And then I also do coaching, like uh, online coaching, but then also coaching calls. Like a lot of people call me like for consulting because since I am kind of a guy with a different type of background, like a lot of guys who have MMA backgrounds or military backgrounds or trauma backgrounds or something will call me for coaching because they have unique questions to their situation that I have experience with that most coaches don't. Yeah. Um, so I do a lot of coaching calls and that's probably, that's really what got me to think about doing therapy is because it's the same thing. It's literally the coaching the turns thing. into therapy, the therapy right. in and of, it's, in and of itself. You yeah. Personal trainer, you're, you're doing therapy. That's what you're doing. You're getting that person through that session. You're the reason why I show up You're talking about their life. Like you're doing therapy. That's what you're doing. It's just, you call it lifting, right? When you and your buddies have like your your complaint session with each other between like bench sets, that's therapy, right? Like that's what you're doing. You're, you're talking to another dude. And I'm like, man, there's a lot of people who don't have good people in their lives. And if I can provide that either through coaching, therapy, being a presence online, being whatever, then man, just put more good out in the world, you know? Yeah. Well, what did, what did I tell you this podcast has has become for me before we hit record, right? These turns into therapy sessions. I've had so many guests at the end of this. I'm like, dude, that was like therapy. And it's been the same side for for me as well. So that's amazing, man. And I think you're gonna you're gonna have tons of success and you're gonna help 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 a lot of people there um once once you get into that. So um if a guy maybe heard this today and you know he's curious, you know, at, at the beginning we we're kind of talking about more of the strongman stuff. If maybe somebody is like, hey, I've been, you know, I've been going to the gym for a long time, but I want to maybe dip my toe into some strongman type training. What are one or two things that somebody can maybe walk away with today to begin to have you know begin to explore this this strongman training is it something they can i mean obviously your programs and your youtube but is there one two things that somebody can can start to do today i would definitely tell you to learn sandbag training because it's the most versatile uh, because it translates over to using a keg to using a stone they're different right a stone is a stone a keg is a keg and a sandbag is a sandbag but like the mechanics of picking it up is the same and again it translates over to a box of books a bag of groceries whatever also farmers walks i think a lot of people could gain so much from farmer's walks, from trap size, bicep size, forearm size, calf size, uh, upper back strength, deadlift strength, like all those things will be built up 
by doing, yeah, by doing uh, farmer's walk. So I think those two things, also overhead pressing, take that very seriously. Um, and you'll be shocked at how that can change your body as well. As for a lot of people, their bench press starts to really start to rise if their, their overhead press starts going up. And then also changing your squat variations to stuff up front, whether it be a zercher, a front squat, an SSB, things like that. Um, because everything in strongman is front loaded, right? Like you will never see a good competitive strongman without big traps, a big back, big bicep, big forearms, big calves, because of the nature of just holding heavy things out front in their posterior chain and like butt just need to hold all that. So um, all my all my squat stuff, I, I recommend kind of start kicking more towards that. But man, the way that it it took my normal lifts and just made them explode. Cause I mean, I was struggling with a deadlift around like 600 pounds prior to strongman training. And then when I started doing strongman training, now, well, I got up to like mid sevens in, in deadlift. Uh, and it's literally just, it's different movements, right? Like you're still doing deadlifts, you're still doing stuff, but you're hitting it differently. It's like doing different variations, which brings up weak points. And then suddenly the deadlift isn't so bad, you know? Love that. Love that. And I would, uh, with, with the farmer's walk, I mean, that is something that people can do with just dumbbells, right? Like you don't need the, you don't need the, yeah. You can even take like moving straps and just slip them through, uh, plates and carry like that. Like there's a million ways. I have a lot of stuff on my channel. If you guys go to the playlist, there's like way to carry playlist that that'll tell you how to make your own stuff, do your own thing. Just check it out. But if there's one thing, if there's one thing, if people want to check it out, Please either on my website, neversafe.com or my YouTube, just my name. Uh, the very first thing is going to be suffer beautifully, like on the channel, like the first video. Just watch that video. It's not about me. It's not selling anything. It's about those adaptive guys and like normal people doing incredible things. I'm telling you, you're going to watch that. And you're going to be like, I'm not crying. I'm not crying, but I'm ready to go. Like it, it takes, if you don't feel like going to the gym, watch that video. Cause you're going to be like, how can I not go? That dude's going right. Like, if there's one thing that people could take away from anything that I've ever done, I want it to be that and those guys showing what is actually possible and the human spirit. It's just, it's gorgeous. Yeah. Brian, that's incredible, man. Um, dude, I love, I love your energy. I love your heart. I love your passion. I love everything that you're about, man. Um, I'm looking forward to, you know, hopefully staying connected with you and, and maybe one day making my way up to uh, Maryland and, and get some strongman training. If you're, if you'd be willing to accept a meathead bodybuilder, that's always been focused on looking good first and training, training performance secondly, but, <laughs> I've always, I've always maintained somewhat of a, you know, I'd say a lot of my training in, 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 in the past was more of a power builder kind of approach. Like, you know, I, I love guys like Meadows that kind of had the hybrid stuff of, you know, really that's that strength, but then focus on the aesthetic. So that's been my background. It hasn't always been purely about muscle. I, you know, 600 deadlift, 500 bench, you know, no, squat was always difficult because of the structure for me. Like I'm taller. So I was never a great, great squatter, but I do have a 565 squat on, on record. I do all my stuff from front loaded is as well it just it's for me it feels a whole a whole lot better putting a bar on my back at this point in my life doesn't have any doesn't have any benefit uh what's well, been amazing guys we're gonna get all of brian's youtube the the links the instagram check all that out last question here brian we end every single episode with the same question i would say the title of our show is called the superhuman life for me living a superhuman life is is really a belief system it's the way i try to show up here every single day as a man of faith i do believe that we're put on this earth for a purpose so there's a calling on each one of our lives but knowing and accepting that you're here for a purpose i don't believe is enough you must be very intentional about your growth about your development and bringing that purpose to the world to serve others so that's how i define living a superhuman life but i love to get the guest take so brian alsru as we end today's conversation how would you define living a superhuman life I would say definitely uh, like die empty, 
right? Like make sure at the end of the day when your head hits the pillow, do not wish you would have done more. Do not wish you would have worked harder. Do not wish you, wish you would have loved better. Like do the hard thing today. It's going to be worth it, right? Small things add up. The only difference that you are between today and who you're going to be five years from now are all the little decisions that you make. So make the right ones now because it's going to matter one day. You're going to care. Also, the suffer beautifully, like you're going through something. Everyone's going through something. Whether you want to admit that you're going through something or you don't, you are. Don't take it out on someone else. Suffer beautifully. Like figure out ways, figure people to talk to you, things like that. And then I, I really think something that I always think in my head when I'm doing stuff is most people will never do great things because most great things don't feel great when you're doing them, right? So like what you're going through, man, keep going through, keep driving. Yes. Like it's not supposed to feel good. It's not supposed to always be pleasurable. Like enjoy the journey, suck the marrow from life because one day you're going to wake up and you're going to feel sick. And the next thing you know, you're going to drop 70 pounds and be thrown up 30, 50 times. And if I did not run into Mark Bell that day, who knows? We don't have this conversation, right? Like, don't neglect anything. It's, it's all worth it from your set of bench press to the way you kiss your kids goodnight to all of it. Like, it's the best gift that you're ever going to get. Beautiful, man. Like, Nothing I would say here would add anything on top of that, brother. So I appreciate you so much, man. Big, big fan. Love what you're doing, man. Want to see you continue to shine your light here into the world. And uh, looking forward to many, many more great things between the two of us, brothers. Uh, guys, check out Brian's stuff. We got all the YouTube, all the website, Instagram. Check out the coaching. Book a call. Do some strongman training. Begin to train for life, for performance, not just aesthetics. Uh, if you got value out of this conversation, guys, we have seen really tremendous growth here. Uh, really in this year, you know, we just had our biggest download week and month last month, and it's all thankful for you guys. So if you're getting value out of these conversations, you can continue to support us if you haven't done so yet by leaving a five-star rating and written review. But more important, if there's somebody that's going through something in their life right now. Maybe there's a man that is struggling with putting in the work. Maybe he's not dying empty every single day and he needs to hear this conversation. Do us a favor and do him the blessing by sharing this conversation conversation with him. But for Brian Alsru, Frank Richard, host here at the Tuber in Life, we love you guys. We'll see you next week. God bless you guys.